Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. I'm McKay Christensen, and I'm thrilled you joined us today. Now, this podcast series is a bit different from others you may listen to. This is not a daily news podcast. It's not Crime Junkie or a podcast about the lives of influencers or dedicated to a social cause. This podcast is born from a deep desire by me and our producers to help us all live a happier life. And the deep belief that a powerful way to make that happen is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. We believe at the foundation of our behavior and beliefs is the way we see the world and ourselves in it. So this podcast hopefully can give you a new perspective, fresh paradigms, and empower you with tools to think and live differently. You can find this Open Your Eyes podcast on all the podcast channels you likely use, including Spotify, Apple, Audible, Google, and if not, you can always go directly to OpenYourEyes.org. Now, most listeners subscribe on one of these channels so they get the new podcast as it's released each week. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about discovering what matters most. When speaking about professional golfer Tony Finau, John Ram said, if you don't like Tony Finau, there's something seriously wrong with you. Finau's a golfer who first came onto the professional scene in 2013 playing on the PGA Tour Canada. Then he qualified for his PGA Tour card in 2014. You see, to golf on the PGA Tour, you have to earn your way. And since 1965, the way you did that was to qualify at the PGA qualifying tournament called Q School. Nowadays, it's the Web.com tournaments. And you can earn your card by being among the top 75 players in the Web.com Tour, be a former champion, or rank in the top 125 of the FedEx Cup rankings. So if you're a new player like Finau was, you had to earn your spot by doing well in the Web.com tournament. In the final tournament of 2014, he was battling for his finish spot, which would determine whether he got his Pro Tour card or not. So much was riding on his play in those last few days. It could eventually mean millions of dollars and entry into the PGA. On an approach shot, Tony was making several practice swings. Then on his setup for the shot, he ever so lightly touched the ball with the tip of his club, and the ball made a tiny, tiny movement. No one saw it. No cameras were recording his shot, but Tony saw it. And he had a choice, notify the officials or let it go. And a single shot, remember, could make a huge difference in his future as a golfer if it meant qualifying in this tournament. Now, it seems to me we all have such moments in life. No one's watching, no cameras rolling. Will we live true to our values? And not just values in terms of honesty, but also in what we've decided to do and who we've decided to be. Will we live up to what matters most? Well, Tony called over the other players and the officials and informed them what had happened, and he took a penalty shot. He said, My father taught me to always be honest and never give up, and I've always tried to do both. Now, despite the penalty shot, Finau would qualify for his pro card and would go on to win his first PGA tournament in 2016. 
And just a month or two ago, five years later, he won his second PGA tournament at the Northern Trust, earning $1.7 million for the tournament. Now, Finau is the first PGA golfer to be of Tongan and Samoan descent, and he and his wife have four children. Now, Tony's not the only golfer to demonstrate his desire to live in harmony with his values. Brian Davis was in South Carolina in a playoff with the chance to win his only PGA tournament. He hit his ball near the water, and on his backswing, he hit his club on a small grass reed. He called a two-shot penalty on himself, and as a result, he got a double bogey on the hole, and he lost to Jim Furyk. It cost Davis $550,000. Now, I believe to be happy and to pursue a purposeful life, we have to decide what matters most, and then seek to live in harmony with what matters. John Huntsman was the founder of Huntsman Chemical Corporation. Now, when the company was still young and growing, Huntsman made a handshake deal with another company, and the deal was to sell 40% of Huntsman Chemical. Huntsman had agreed to sell it for $53 million, but after six months of delays on the deal that were not his fault, the value had ballooned to $250 million, and Huntsman could have easily renegotiated the deal. He could have said, oh, the market's changed, I need more money. But he stuck with the original deal despite the change in economic circumstances. I must tell you that throughout the last 12 to 15 years, there have been many times I've wondered, what about the 200 million, Huntsman said. That's a fortune, a a mammoth fortune. I let it slip away. But on the other hand, I say my children are all in business. They know their father. They understand an agreement. And if the agreement was for 53 million or $53, the principle is still the same. A deal is a deal. A handshake is a handshake. Integrity is integrity. Now, each semester in my business strategy class at the university, I reserve one class period to talk about what matters most. And I've given this message in one form or another dozens of times. Of all the messages that I share and have given over the years, this message gets the most feedback and people want copies of what I share. Why? Not because I'm great, but because the message is universally true. I've seen in my lifetime that there are two primary sources of unhappiness in life, living focused on the wrong things and living in a way not in harmony with your values, with what matters most. It seems that more and more people have lost the compass that used to guide them. I'm talking about the deeply held inner values that were at the foundation of society throughout the ages, values such as respect for life and each other, and the necessity of working together for the common good. It seems like selfishness, operating without common respect, and other such things are the traits growing in our society. And yes, you can see the degradation in society as a result. But the real harm, the real consequences are personal. You see them at the private level. Here's what I'm hearing from people at the personal level. Looking at my life, I feel that something's terribly wrong. I'm troubled by personal problems that I've drug along for years. I have excess emotional baggage that I can't bury or hide, and it rears its ugly head from time to time. I'm depressed. I've been looking for answers of how to be happy, but I can't find them. What's keeping me from being happy? Well, there is a simple answer for almost everyone. 
who's seeking happiness and unable to find it. You have to decide what really matters. You see, until you know what matters most and can begin to fashion your life after these values, you will wander. But once you discover what you deeply value and begin to live accordingly, you'll be amazed at the peace and joy that will enter your life. You know, there's this saying that has always stuck with me, and it says, be yourself, but be that perfectly. It means that our daily actions are in line with what matters most to us. Now, being in harmony with what matters most in your life requires a couple of things. First, clearly knowing what matters most, and second, the ability to live in harmony with that. And I say live in harmony rather than live perfectly with what matters most because it is in the striving that we find harmony. No one's a better example than Beethoven of this. You see, he grew up in a dysfunctional home. He was criticized for handling the violin awkwardly. Even his teachers called him hopeless as a composer. At the pinnacle of his career, he lost his hearing and yet During these struggles, he managed to write five of his greatest symphonies. His fifth symphony had a long development process. The first rough drafts of the melody started in 1804. He was repeatedly interrupted on his work to prepare other compositions. He was in his mid-30s during this time, and his personal life was troubled by increasing deafness and other family issues. But he continued the earnest pursuit of the Symphony of Fate, which premiered in 1808 in Vienna. It seems his greatest work was written in times of most intense struggle in his life. Yet, he is regarded as the best-known composer of classical music, and the Fifth Symphony is the most-played symphony of all time. This is how it is in the pursuit of what matters most. It is the harmony of the pursuit, despite trials, that brings out the best work of our lives. Beethoven himself would later say, This is the mark of distinction of a truly admirable man, steadfastness in times of trouble. So, how do you determine what matters most in your life? Here's what I believe. Most of us already have. We already know the values inside us. They were developed in our formative years and refined and built from impressions we've had over a lifetime. And whether we know it or not, our internal compass has been working. It's our job to articulate these values clearly so we can begin an earnest pursuit of what matters most. So values are what you believe are important in the way you live, work, and interact. And they should determine your priorities. And deep down, they're probably the measures you use to tell if your life is unfolding in the way you want it to unfold. When the things that you do and the way that you behave match your values, Life is usually good. You're satisfied and content. But when these don't align, that's when things feel wrong. And this can be a real source of unhappiness. For example, if you value being a good father, but you have to work 70 hours a week in your job, you'll feel internal stress and conflict. If you value being humble, but act often to satisfy your own moods or desires, you feel the pull inside of you to be better. So how do you know then what matters most? Well, my friend Hiram Smith used to teach people the process for identifying their governing values. He described the process as imagining yourself as you want to be. Just as an architect imagined the finished building as he was drawing it and as he refines it and as he reviews the plans, 
you can identify your governing values. The first step is to write them down. Now remember, they may not be perfect at first, but over time, you will refine them. This process is life-changing. And I found in writing my governing values that I've become a different person. For example, in the writing of my governing values, I realized that a job title wasn't important to me. I realized that people were more important than profits or progress. And it changed what I was pursuing in my life and career. One of my governing values is to be a light, not a judge. This value is deeply important to me. Being a light means that to the people around me, I seek to inspire, lift, and make things easier for them. Not being a judge means that I don't criticize. I don't speak poorly of people outside of their presence. And I seek to place myself in proper relation to them as a servant. Years ago, I was struggling in my life as a father of five children. I was stressed, busy at work and other service, and dealing with my own imperfections. My children in their teenage years were giving us the trials that come with raising teenagers. And the way this manifested itself in my life was to be critical of them and others in my thoughts and soon in my language. I was looking for an answer to how to solve this in my life. And one day I was with Stephen Covey when he said something like this. I've talked with many husbands and wives over the years, most of them friends, who have come to me frustrated with their spouses, feeling that they were at the end of their tether. Often these people have been filled with a sense of their own rightness and their partner's lack of understanding and responsibility. They've been drawn into a cycle where one spouse is constantly judging, preaching, condemning, criticizing, handing out emotional punishment, and the other is, in a sense, rebelling by ignoring, defensively resisting, and justifying every behavior by the treatment he or she is receiving. He continued, My counsel to those who judge, who are usually the ones coming up to me hoping that I can somehow shape up their spouse or affirm the reasons for wanting a divorce, is to become a light, not a judge. In other words, to stop trying to change their spouse and just go to work on themselves, to get out of a judging mindset and to stop trying to manipulate or give love conditionally. If people take this counsel to heart and are humbled by it, he said, and if they are patient, persistent, and non-manipulating, even when provoked, a sweet softness begins to return, and the unconditional love and inside-out change become irresistible. This message just sunk into my heart, and I saw a new way of treating my children. And since becoming married and starting a family, I've made a few decisions that have had a far-reaching impact and positive influence on the lives of my children in our home. And one of those decisions was a commitment to follow God no matter what, but the other was the decision to strive to be a light and not a judge. As I tried to implement this value in my life, I made lots of mistakes. I had to discover what be a light and not a judge really meant. Not long after I made this decision, I was reading scripture and read about why God placed the planets and the stars next to each other. The scripture said, they give light to each other in their times and season, in their minutes, in their hours, in their days, in their weeks, in their months, in their years. And I suddenly realized that one purpose of my life was to be a light in the times and seasons of my family, to push less, to be an example more to be there whether for a minute or an hour or a week or a year and to speak positively, to be faithful, 
and optimistic and to compliment freely, to lift. This deeply held value has worked like a compass for me. I've learned about the power of mood, affirmation, and how living in harmony with values brings a spirit of inspiration and peace to your life. And honestly, miracles have happened as a result. One of my children caused me the greatest heartache. I was certain that this child would struggle most of their life. One day, as I pondered on how to be more of a light and help them, I imagined something that had not occurred to me before, that this teenage child of mine was to be one of the noble and great people of this earth and was valued deeply by God, in other words, of noble and divine birthright. This perception, perhaps inspiration, caused me to genuinely see this child differently, and I soon began to act differently, and that changed everything between us. This inspiring thought wouldn't have happened without my value of being a light and a judge firmly planted in my thinking and life. So you can see that when we identify what matters most, it becomes a source of strength for us. And like Beethoven's symphony construction, we begin to write the themes and melodies of our life. So what matters most? Well, what matters most is found at the intersection of three very important questions and answers. First question, what are you deeply passionate about? Second, is this value a truth, meaning an absolute truth like honesty? And third, will it help you exponentially move towards the person you want to become? It's found at the intersection of those three questions and answers. So here's some examples of governing values that I've seen people write. I value maintaining a strong and healthy body. I will live financially independent. I love God and seek to do His will in my life. I am generous and kind. I will seek to make good use of my time. I will lead and live with integrity and honesty. Those are just a few examples. And you can articulate your values when you decide what matters most in your life. For example, is being a present mother deeply important to you? Do you believe it is a principle of truth, meaning motherhood or fatherhood is a divine role? And will it help you move further towards the finished person you want to be before you die? If so, then being a present mother is likely a governing value of your life. But what kind of mother do you want to be? Are there facets of that important role that you value more than others? Do you seek to teach moral virtues to your children so they have governing values instilled in them? If so, then you may need to describe the type of mother you want to be. For example, you may say, I'm a mother who is prayerful, intentional, selfless, nurturing, respects others, seeks learning, uses excellent language, and leads with high standards. You see, you then begin to identify what you're passionate about and what type of role you want to play in the lives of your family. This is incredibly important work. Determining what matters most will change your way of living once it's identified and articulated. Now, one of my governing values is to appropriately seize the seasons and times of my life. I recognize that there are times in which I can pursue worthwhile efforts in which I can grow as a person. And I believe that we will live beyond this earth life. We are living for a purpose, to become more heavenly in our character and closer to people and show love and respect for each other. 
And whether you believe that or not, we can at least agree that a purpose in life is to become the best we can be, to become a person of noble actions and virtues. To illustrate this, in October 2000, I was in Taipei, Taiwan, leading a business meeting. Among the other attendees were friends, a husband and wife, from Kaohsiung City, located on the opposite side of the island. We ended our meetings a day early because a typhoon was forecasted to hit the island the next day. Our friends waited overnight to depart Taipei because they were scheduled to fly to the United States for a trip. Now, while nervous to be departing during the typhoon, they were happy to know they were flying Singapore Airlines, one of the safest airlines in the Far East, and flying aboard a Boeing 747. Now, while a 747 usually holds about 400 passengers, on this day, because of the typhoon, there were only 179 people on board. My friends were seated in the back of the plane. The captain of the flight was Fung Chi Kong, an experienced pilot with more than 11,200 hours and 2,000 hours in the 747. His first officer had 2,400 hours, and the relief pilot had 5,400 hours. And even though there were high winds and heavy rain at 11.15 p.m., the time of takeoff, air traffic control cleared the airplane to take off via runway 5L. But unknowingly, the crew turned and started their takeoff on runway 5R. They had correctly repeated the tower's instructions and confirmed takeoff on runway 5L, but they turned too early onto runway 5R, thinking it was 5L. Runway 5R was under construction. Now, the airport wasn't equipped with ground radar, which allows the controllers to monitor the movement of aircraft on the ground. And due to the poor visibility of the storm, the crew did not see the construction equipment, including excavators, rollers, a bulldozer, and a crane, which were parked on the runway. After clearance and a six-second pause, the pilot engaged the full force of the engines to gain the necessary 180 miles an hour to take off in a heavy rainstorm. For the first 41 seconds, the aircraft sped down the runway, almost reaching 180 miles per hour. And just as the plane was lifting off the ground, it collided with the construction machinery and was ripped to pieces. The nose of the plane struck a scoop loader. The left wing was torn away by a crane, which forced the jet sideways, slamming it into the ground. The rear section of the fuselage broke away and rolled and slid down the runway. Now, when the plane struck the construction equipment, the fuel stored in the wings exploded, sending balls of fire through the middle section of the plane. Immediately, 64 of the 76 passengers in that section burned to death. Most of the passengers in business class on the lower deck died from the impact, and on the upper deck, 12 of the 19 passengers and one flight attendant died from smoke inhalation from the fire below them because they couldn't escape the plane. Later, their bodies would be found in and above the stairwell trying to get out. All the passengers seated in the rear section of the aircraft survived, including our friends, because the rear section of the plane broke off from the rest of the aircraft. Now, aboard the plane that day were 47 Americans. Among the most notable passengers was John Diaz, the vice president of MP3.com, who later appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show. During that interview with Oprah, John said that after the impact of the airplane, he stood to exit the aircraft. And these are his words. There was all this spray of jet fuel, which was like napalm, and whatever it hit ignited like a torch. Inside the aircraft, it looked like Dante's Inferno with people strapped in their seats and just burning. 
it seemed to look like an aura was leaving their bodies, and some were brighter than others. After witnessing this horrific scene, John says he walked away with a new sense of spirituality. He said, I believe life continues on. I thought, you know, the brightness and dimness of their auras indicated how one lives one's life, so to speak. And I want to live my life so my aura, when it leaves, is very, very bright. Now, I've seen people who are bright, and it's obvious that there's something about them, something special. Perhaps they're living more consistent with what matters most to them. They're on a purposeful path and becoming noble, higher, better. Perhaps they're people who love and give first in life. Perhaps they know values like honesty are important and living in harmony with those values. So take some time to begin to write down what matters most in your life. Where do you start? Well, let me ask you, as I've been talking, what one thing has come to mind as to what is important to you? Start with that idea. Take time today or this week to write it down. Think about it. Let it take root in you. Define it further. And I believe you will be inspired to make it a governing value for yourself. And your list of governing values won't be perfect. But it is in the seeking that your life symphony will take shape. This is how you create and live a purposeful life. Now the next step. Once your governing values are identified, how do you fashion your life so you can live in harmony with those values? Well, this is where the magic happens. You see, people who live on purpose plan their day. This is an incredibly important habit in life, and you'd be surprised at how much of your life you will get back if you take a few minutes each day to plan. And when you do, plan like this. You have a list of what matters most, your governing values in front of you during your planning. And when you plan, ask yourself, how can I schedule the living of what matters most today? For example, let's say one of your governing values is to maintain a strong and healthy body. You understand that good physical health is essential to emotional and mental health, and that it's essential to a happy life. Therefore, you plan your daily exercise and set guidelines for the right diet and nutrition as part of your daily planning. Now, right now, I'm sure some of you may be thinking, oh, McKay, that sounds like a lot of work. But the truth is, it's a little work. And that little work will direct a lot of your life. Another example, let's say you've defined as part of what matters most in life the type of father you want to be. In the planning of your day or week, you can purposefully plan to live your values. This type of living is, it really is life-changing. You see, for many of us, there's a gap. A gap between what we value, what we want to be, and where we are today. The fact that a gap exists is not unusual, but if little progress is made towards closing the gap, there is an increasing amount of doubt and pain that enter into our life. So every day, plan so you can close that gap. But here's the truth. We only have one life on this earth. I mean, I haven't heard of anyone going around for a second try. And if we aren't doing what matters most, then what in fact are we doing? I promise you, that this type of living can and will change how you feel inside. Now, in my first podcast, I introduced the concept of belief windows, a window through which we filter and process all that comes our way in life. 
we talked about the fact that we get erroneous beliefs placed on our belief window over time. Beliefs that we are ugly or beautiful, smart or stupid, capable or not. But here's the most powerful lesson about belief windows. You must take responsibility for your belief window and removing the erroneous beliefs on that window. You see, there arrives a time in everyone's life in which they must take total responsibility for their own beliefs and behaviors. You must assume responsibility to change your belief window. And you make the most fundamental change by deciding what matters most in your life and then acting, seeking to live in harmony with what matters. And when you do, it colors your belief window. My decision to be a light and not a judge was painted on my belief window. I deeply believe it is why I am alive. It has blessed my life, and I am still in pursuit of that noble character trait. But I also believe it is who I am. The identity of it has made me a different person. And I believe the same can happen for you with any governing value that you're deeply passionate about, is a true principle, and will help you make great strides in your life. So as we end today, remember Tony Finau and John Huntsman. When you live in harmony with what matters most, you will prosper. And when you identify what matters most, like Beethoven, you begin the construction of a beautiful symphony in life that will bless your life and the lives of others. So write down today a few governing values that matter most to you. Make plans to live more in harmony with those values and take responsibility for your way of viewing the world and your place in it. If you will live life on purpose in this way, you will find a better, happier life. Thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. 